This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and happy Friday, WOMED family. Jack here. We're switching things up a little this week. I am coming to you solo. Danny and I are so grateful for our conversations together, but we thought having solo episodes could be a fun way for us to connect on a more personal level with you, to share something that we've learned or experienced or felt really called to talk about. Today, I'm going to talk about mindfulness and my personal journey with mindfulness and how I hope it can help you in your life. Maybe you've tried mindfulness or meditation practices before and it just never sticks. Maybe you've never tried it before or given it any thought. Totally okay. This episode is still for you because this episode is not just about mindfulness. It's about healing. And with that, I do want to put a trigger warning out there for trauma, depression, and suicidal ideation. So we're going to get cozy. We're going to get intimate. We're going to get vulnerable. I'm going to share some things I have never shared on the podcast before or even publicly, which I'm not going to lie, feels a little scary, but also freeing, like a weight being lifted. So let's get into it. My journey with mindfulness started over 10 years ago after graduating college where I played a sport. I felt so, so lost. I had spent most of my life as an athlete, training, running, skating, lifting weights. So when my sport was over, I never felt so disconnected from my body. I didn't know what the hell I was supposed to do with my body. I remembered hearing once about yoga, that that was something I could do for my body. That was, well, more than the actual physical work. So I said, sure, let's give it a try. I went to my first yoga class and that was it. For the first time, I experienced moving my body in a way that I never had. Instead of my body having to be pushed to a limit, it could just be. It could move with my breath. It could stretch without striving, as we say. I remember thinking, why didn't anyone ever give me the permission to just be like this in my body? I had spent my entire life training my body, yet I had never practiced just being in it. Not sure if you can relate to that. So as you do, I spent my early 20s searching. I traveled all over Europe, Central America to Southeast Asia, where I learned about other religions, spirituality, culture. I remember I was in Thailand and sat down with some monks for something called a monk chat just thought again, wow, why didn't anyone teach me about how to think about life, how to think about happiness, purpose, perspective, 
Later, I went on um, and spent a month in India to learn more about yoga, breath work, and meditation because I knew if I wanted to dive deeper into this work, I wanted to go straight to the source. All of this, by the way, was when I was getting my master's in nursing or when I was working as a nurse. I would travel in between jobs, over break, or when I was working PRN, I would just backpack, like do whatever I could to travel, stay in cheap hostels, the whole thing. I was also with my now ex-husband at the time, who was a professional hockey player. And while he was kind of doing his thing, I was doing mine. So a few years later, when I was going back to school to get my doctorate, and it was time to pick my doctoral project, I knew I wanted to do something aligned in this work of yoga, meditation, mindfulness, something a little unconventional. Really, (laughs) the idea of doing a project on like Caudi's or hospital analytics, or anything in traditional medicine sounded like a total snooze fest. And I said, well, if I have to spend 500 hours doing something, I'm going to do something I actually want to become an expert in. So I constructed a project where I would be facilitating mindfulness sessions to primary care providers and testing for burnout, both with qualitative and quantitative data. I had the best team of mentors behind me, including Dr. Julia Sarazine, a doctorally prepared NP that was faculty at Rush, which is a hospital really close to me in Chicago. She's an expert in mindfulness, and she has just pushed paper after paper out on the topic of mindfulness for healthcare workers, specifically for nurses and burnout. Now, I'm getting to write my doctoral proposal when, boom, March 2020 hits. We are in a full-blown pandemic. And this is where things really took a turn in my mindfulness practice and in my personal life. Ironically, I'm writing a 50-page doctoral proposal on mindfulness, facilitating mindfulness sessions, explaining what mindfulness is. But I was the least mindful I have ever been in my life. Besides working as a COVID public health nurse, which was traumatic and scary in its own right. This was the start of the dissolution of my marriage. Now, I haven't talked much about my divorce here um, for a lot of reasons. One, I actually have an NDA, so I cannot say a lot about my actual experiences. Two, there are certain things that are just too painful to revisit, and I prefer to keep them private. And three, because a lot of me has just had to put certain things behind me in order to move the fuck on. But my divorce put me in the lowest place of my life. My depression was all consuming. And when I started experiencing suicidal ideation, I knew that therapy, self-care, meditation was just not cutting it. So I immediately started on an SSRI, and that quite literally saved my life. So from what I'm comfortable sharing, and well, what I'm allowed to share, here's what happened. I abruptly had to leave the home I was living in with my then ex-husband and move in with my family um, for a separation. So not a divorce just yet, a separation. I said goodbye to the dogs that I had been with since they were both eight weeks old when you bring them home to Great Danes. Well, actually, I didn't really get to say goodbye. (laughs) They just were not a part of my life anymore. 
which was um, beyond devastating. It still is. <laughs> Those animals were not just my babies. They were my emotional crutch during the end of my marriage. So without them, I was like balancing on a tightrope. So for months, I lived in this limbo where I was separated, living out of a suitcase in my family's basement without my dogs, my house, my routine, any sense of normalcy, no plan, and no fucking idea if my marriage was going to work out. My nervous system was in absolute shambles. <laughs> I lost almost 20 pounds. My skin was covered in cystic acne. This fear, uncertainty, embarrassment of going through a separation and then a divorce at such a young age after such a short marriage was devastating. Uh, missing my dogs. I was a, a wreck. <laughs> so, mindfulness? Uh, yeah, right. I was in a state of complete fight or flight myself. Um, I would be teaching about what mindfulness is, the benefits, guiding the classes through meditations and mindfulness practices, feeling like such a hypocrite because I was a mess. I wasn't even in my head. I definitely was not in my body. I was in total sympathetic overdrive. I didn't know what my future looked like anymore. So I just put my head down and tried to prepare myself for the worst. I picked up every shift I could. I worked on my business Riot Healers all night, which I was previously running from my garage. But then again, um, having to move out, I had to totally pivot and figure out what I was going to do with my business. And then I just threw myself into my doctoral work. I worked and worked and worked until I could not work anymore. Now, is this a healthy coping mechanism? <laughs> not really. But I figured as far as coping mechanisms go, at least I'm being productive. And it's better than laying and hiding in my bed all day, which is what I wanted to do most of the time. Finally, when the rug got ripped from under me, like, yep, this divorce is happening. You are never going to go back into your house. You are never going to see your dogs again. That life you thought you're going to have, over. Gone. Not happening. We are starting over. <laughs> it was hard, but it was nothing compared to that uncertainty I had before. At least now I had an answer. And fuck, there is so much freedom in that. This is when I was finally able to let the mindfulness back in. I could finally breathe again. And thank God those foundations were there. I could take small moments. I could slowly start to be in my body again. I could slowly start to see the beauty of what was around me, the friends that had my back, the family that supported me. I could face what was happening. So mindfulness, let's pause the story for a second. Don't worry, we will pick it back up. But let me explain a little bit more about what I'm talking about. Mindfulness is the practice of paying attention on purpose, moment by moment, non-judgmentally. So it's paying deliberate attention to your thoughts, feelings, body sensations, and your surroundings. It's waking up from the autopilot, 
which is so easy to get caught up in, right? We have so many distractions. Our thoughts are constantly going. Our worries, the stories we tell ourselves. Mindfulness is pausing that and reclaiming this moment. You can practice mindfulness in two ways, formal and informal. Formal mindfulness is what we think of as meditation, where we dedicate a specific time free of distractions and focus our attention to an anchor, whether that's the breath, the body scan, your senses. It could be a silent or guided. And then we have our informal mindfulness, where we bring our attention to things we do in our daily life, brushing our teeth, going for a walk, waiting in line, drinking your morning coffee. You can literally practice informal mindfulness taking out the garbage. The point is that the formal mindfulness or meditation practice is what sets the foundation for the informal practice to bring presence into our daily lives, into everyday moments, experiences, conversations, decisions, etc. So being in the body, again, whew, when I was going through my divorce, nope. I refused. I could not sit in my body. I could not sit in silence. I was overwhelmed with fear, worry, anger, confusion. I came out of that marriage with my nervous system just completely exhausted. Later on, I learned this was PTSD. <laughs> Thank you to my therapist. It's not that I didn't want to be calm or sitting in meditation. I wanted to. I had all the tools. I, I know how you're supposed to do it. But I physically could not sit in silence. I could not be guided in meditation. I could not find any sort of silence because the fear would just overwhelm. This is now something I talk about in every mindfulness session I facilitate with students. It's that mindfulness does not always feel good. It does not always feel relaxing. It's not always calming. And this can be especially true for those who have experienced any form of trauma or abuse. The traditional approach to mindfulness may not only be uncomfortable, but harmful. It can put you face to face with your trauma. It can unintentionally trigger difficult emotions or sensations. And unless you have the right structure and support, this may not be the practice for you, at least for right now. If you want to learn more about this, I actually wrote an article about trauma-informed mindfulness. That's this framework which is a more compassionate and carefully tailored approach that acknowledges the realities of trauma while providing a secure space for healing. It integrates the traditional principles of mindfulness with a trauma-sensitive technique. If you're in healthcare, you may have heard trauma-informed care. This is very similar. It's a framework, right, an approach. It has the overarching goals of safety, compassion, choice, empowerment, grounding, and stabilization. Mindfulness is never the whole answer. It may not even be part of your answer. So 
If you are struggling with trauma, depression, suicidal ideation, please, please reach out to a provider, a hotline, licensed therapist, or other form of support and know that you are not alone. Okay, how can mindfulness help you? Well, how did it help me? As I'm sure you've heard, there are tons of well-documented benefits. It can reduce stress, anxiety, depression, irritability, improve your memory, help your focus, increase your creativity, your compassion, stabilize your emotions, make you happier, peaceful. Yes, decrease burnout for healthcare workers, though it definitely is not the only answer to addressing burnout. Some studies have shown it can reduce it. There's also physical benefits. It can help improve sleep, chronic pain, cardiovascular health, boost your immune system. What did mindfulness do for me? Like I said, it helped me breathe again. It helped me be in my body again. But mostly, it helped me see the stories that were running rampant in my head. It helped me see so clearly what I actually had right in front of me. And what I was leaving behind was not actually even there to begin with as much as I wanted it to. Mindfulness helped me see clearly. And once I could see clearly, there was no stopping me. I finished my doctorate. I grew my business tenfold. After I graduated, I moved abroad for four months, something I've always wanted to do. I landed my dream job as a full-time faculty member. Mindfulness allowed me to see my world with greater clarity. So I was able to move forward in a wiser, more thoughtful, and more aligned way for me. Of course, just like anything, mindfulness is a practice. It's like grief. Your relationship with it can be messy. Some days it's better than others. But if we can start to adopt this new baseline, have these mindfulness tools, we can start to bring more presence and awareness into your life, start to regulate your nervous system. I still have days where it is too difficult to be my body due to some sort of trauma that's coming up. I still get triggered in my new relationship over the smallest things, which I also work with my therapist, bless her, times two. But that baseline is there. That sense of self, that stability is there. So if you're wanting more clarity in your life, maybe you're in healthcare and you're not sure if it's the right path for you anymore. Maybe you don't know what to do about your relationship. Maybe your life feels like it's lacking purpose. Starting this practice gives you the ability to show up fully in your life. It teaches you to understand your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions. And in that, you start to trust yourself. Instead of seeking all of the answers around you all over the damn place, you can start looking for the answers within yourself. Okay, so now you're like, Jesus, Jack, we get it. (laughs) How do we do this? How do we get started? So as I mentioned, we have our formal and informal practice, right? Our formal practice is where we dedicate time to meditate. I suggest that you do this a lot. (laughs) First thing is I want you to find a cozy space free of distractions. This will be your sacred mindfulness meditation space. You don't have to do anything fancy. You have to buy an expensive meditation cushion. But if you want to make this space more inviting with a cozy blanket, pillow, candle, incense, you do that. It can be in the corner of your room or on your bed. Mine is literally next to my couch on the floor of my living room. 
So again, you don't need anything fancy. Next, I want you to pick a time when you're going to practice this formal mindfulness, okay? I like to do it in the morning before I take Archie for a walk, but do what works for you. Pick a time where you can stack it onto something that you already do. This is called habit stacking. Not sure if you've heard of that. If you haven't, go look it up. Like when your morning coffee is brewing or before you brush your teeth, we're going to meditate before or after that. The important part here is consistency. So pick a time where you're more likely to be consistent. If you're a morning person, do it in the morning. If you're a night person, do it at night. Okay, now the formal practice. What do I mean? Well, when you're new, I suggest finding some sort of guided meditation, whether that's on an app like Calm, Open, Headspace, even a YouTube video, some sort of guided meditation. Start small, three, five, 10 minutes. You can work your way up later, okay? I like to say finding a meditation style is kind of like finding a boyfriend or a therapist. You may have to try a few different styles, teachers, facilitators out before you find something that sticks. So don't give up. If you didn't like it, just try a different one because there's literally hundreds, thousands of ways you can do this. Keep trying until you find something that sticks. But I want you to do this every day. Now, before you say, I've tried practicing mindfulness or meditation and I can't do it. My mind always wanders. I can't have a silent mind. It is literally impossible for me. The goal of mindfulness, this is such a myth. The goal of mindfulness is not to eliminate all of your thoughts. It's about observing them. Our minds wander. It's what they were literally programmed to do. As you sit in stillness, thoughts are going to come up. Hmm, what am I cooking for dinner? Oh, I wonder if my kids got to school. Oh, I totally forgot about that science project I have next week. Ugh, why won't that guy text me back? Thoughts are going to come. Instead of fighting them and saying, Oh, God, I suck at meditating. Just observe them as if you were watching clouds passing by. Gently bring your focus back to your breath or whatever anchor it is that you're working on during this practice when your mind starts to wander. I know you're thinking, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to spend three, five, 10, 20 minutes a day doing this? We talked about all the benefits. Find your why. Why do you want to find this practice? Maybe you don't. That's great. Love that. Find something else. If this does sound intriguing to you and you do want to get started, define your why. Why do you want to do this? Do you want to have more meaningful conversations with your loved ones? Do you want to be able to pause before you react? Maybe we can respond instead of react. I like to say this is slower to anger and quicker to calm. Are you working through some mental health struggles? Are you trying to sleep better? Are you just trying to bring more awareness into your own damn life? The important thing is finding your why, because that is going to help you be more consistent to come back to this formal practice. And remember, this formal practice is what strengthens our neural pathways to give you the foundation to bring mindfulness into your daily life. So when you're having that conversation, you can really be there for it. 
when you're on the vacation, you're not going to be so up in your head that you miss it right in front of you. Now that we're doing our daily formal practice, I want you to start incorporating informal mindfulness into your day, doing the things you already do. Pick something, your morning skincare, walking your dog, doing the dishes. You can literally practice mindfulness doing any simple task you do during the day. The point is slow down and really bring your attention to that activity, no matter how mundane or simple it is. Engage your senses. What do you see? Smell. Hear. Notice. Take it all in. We're doing both. Okay. Formal practice every day and incorporating those informal practices in our everyday life. See what happens. Just see what happens. So back to my doctoral work. Yes, I somehow managed during my divorce to finish my doctorate. I facilitated the mindfulness seminars. My data was so wacky because my final session in the post-intervention data that we collected was literally the day the Omicron surge happened in Chicago where I was doing the sessions. But I actually have a graph of like when we recorded this data and what the numbers were like in Chicago. And it was like, it was wild. Anyway, I went on to go publish, present this work at a major conference, and since have facilitated mindfulness to hundreds of healthcare professionals and groups. I recently transitioned this work to a brand and business called Words for Monday, where I will link everything in the show notes because I have so many resourceful blog posts on everything I talked about. I also have a free mindfulness starter kit resource list. 50 mindful journal prompts, and a five-day mindfulness challenge. If you are ready to take this seriously and really get started, I think this is a great time to start these kind of practices in early December because when New Year's comes around, we feel all of this pressure to make all of these changes to better ourselves, okay? If we start this practice now, think about the intentions that you're going to be bringing in in 2024 by the time the New Year comes. So yeah, I do think this is a great time to get started. A reason I created this brand business was because I found this work not just so meaningful to the healthcare workers that I was facilitating it with, but it was so helpful for myself during the lowest point of my life. And I wanted to create a platform community where I could educate people on mindfulness and get them started. Because as I found from facilitating sessions after sessions is people have the same questions or the same issues when it comes to meditating. I don't know where to start. My mind always wanders when I meditate. Well, how long do I have to do it? Well, why am I doing this? I wanted to create a place that could not just help healthcare workers, but all people. Yes, moving forward, I definitely think mindfulness um, within the healthcare worker world is something that I'm really passionate about. But I do want to make one thing really clear. When I talk about mindfulness for healthcare workers and preventing burnout, there's different layers to this. One, yes, mindfulness is a great tool to take us out of our heads and into the body, into the present moment, hopefully relax, get out of that sympathetic overdrive and into our parasympathetic nervous systems. Yes, that's great. It can be so helpful at work. It can be so helpful when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you have a million patients, when you have to chart. If you can take mindful moments throughout your day, yes, the data shows that this can be 
helpful in preventing burnout. But, and this is a major but, mindfulness is not the solution to our healthcare burnout problem. Mindfulness is not going to fix our broken healthcare system. What I hope mindfulness can do for you if you're in healthcare or if you're in any job that is extremely demanding is, like I said before, mindfulness can start to help you see your own life more clearly and hopefully start to move forward, making decisions that feel more aligned with yourself. Does that mean staying in healthcare? I don't know. Does it mean switching your career in healthcare? I don't know. Those are answers for you. But I do hope that mindfulness can help you find some more clarity there. I really hope this episode resonated. If you're going through something similar, please know I'm here for you. Just know that you can and you will let go. When you do, there is something so much greater waiting for you on the other end. As always, every like, share, rate, review means the absolute world to us. We are so grateful that you're here with us every Friday. I will catch you with Danny next week. WOMED out. <laughs>